us your first thoughts on Scripture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of First Thoughts. My name is Damon Jensen Heitman. I'm one of the pastors, First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. As we're rocketing towards Christmas Eve and well, through the season of Advent and towards Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is, rocketing? It's feeling that way today for me. Mm. Uh, but why? Just a lot going on. All right. Yeah. Well, fair enough. I mean, it is only four weeks. It's only four weeks. Yeah, event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not a lot. It's not. Mm-hmm. Moves pretty quickly. Yeah, seems to. Well, I mean, it moves at the same pace. Mm. From an objective, like, timeline perspective, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. But from a perception perspective, it it's feels us. like it moves faster. We're the ones that are the problem. That's not a problem, per se. It just feels seems like, like it. Everybody always happening. complains about it. It's true. Right? So, it's their own fault. I. That's what I've decided. I don't. They're trying to blame think time. My sense of busyness during this season is necessarily my fault. Mm, that I suppose yes. There were there were a number of uncontrollable factors this season that I had nothing to do with. Yeah. That have contributed to a sense of busyness that I have this season. But everyone always seems like they're just they just feel busy all the time. Yeah. Maybe. So what are we, we gonna do here? We're gonna um, <laughs> we're gonna review the scripture that will be used in worship on Sunday morning, and that's an important distinction this year because Sunday morning is Advent four. And Sunday morning is also Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And so for our first thoughts uh, reflection, we're going to think about uh, Advent 4, the scripture that uh, will be used for that worship service, uh, which uh, we'll talk about. And uh, we'll maybe ask some questions of the text, let the text ask questions of us, Mm -hmm. and uh, figure out what we're doing. Yeah. We're going to start with an opening prayer. I think we will. Mm-hmm. And I think it's my turn. All right. Let's, you should go for it then. Let's do it. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, in this season of Advent, when we're called to wait and prepare and hope, let's take a moment to just take a deep breath, God. As we breathe in and breathe out, let it be your Holy Spirit that is entering us and filling us with all of the things of Advent, of peace and hope and joy and love. As we study your scripture, may it speak to us, though it is a familiar story, one that we come back to every year. Help us find new details or nuances or just different ways that it's speaking to us this year so that we by reading it and reflecting on it and studying it, can grow ever closer to you and ever closer to the way that you are calling us to be as disciples of your son, Jesus Christ. 
It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Sunday morning, December 24th, we have a selection from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 through 80, um, which is not a part of the Gospel of Luke that we read very often, if at all. Not part of the Revised Common Lectionary? I don't. I didn't even look. Okay. I just... <laughs> I just... We are infinitely less familiar with the story, like with Zechariah's part of the story. Uh, yes, that is true. Like, like if we're going to read in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to start reading when Gabriel shows up. Yep. And not a lot before that. Right. And then we're going to like read until Gabriel goes away. And then we're going to skip ahead a bit <laughs> and read the bit about maybe Elizabeth, but for sure Mary. Yep. So, so Damon's choosing to read the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, which actually is a nice continuation of what we've been studying. We've actually been working our way through the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Uh, the Annunciation was the sort of the focal scripture of the cantata. Uh, last week was the uh, Magnificat, Mary's song that she sings after she accepts the news of the Annunciation. Mm-hmm. And uh, now this is the next story in the Gospel of Luke. Yeah. And we're going to read it mm-hmm. and reflect on it. That's that's my understanding, yes. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. what we're about to do. So this is actually a narrative uh, lectionary for Christmas Eve morning. Oh. This passage. Um, I've, I think that I've maybe shortened it. But at any rate, because they wanted to, to the, include the whole story of Zechariah. Which is quite a story. Sense. (laughs) So, what people should know before this story starts: Zechariah is a priest Mm -hmm. married to Elizabeth. They are both old; they have not had any children. Uh, Zechariah reports to the temple for his regularly scheduled temple duties, and while he is there, that's when Gabriel shows up. Mm -hmm. Says, "You're going to have a son." Uh, Elizabeth is going to become pregnant, and he doubts, but I use that term very, very lightly. He's skeptical. He has some sort of question about this. He's skeptical. Let's go As a result, Gabriel says, you know, I stand in the presence of God. Um, Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Or something like this. I don't know what he says. And then... He says, and since you didn't believe, uh, Zechariah, you are going to be mute. Struck You'll be unable mute. to speak until yep. your son is born. Yep. And you're going to name him John. Yep. Right. And then Zechariah leaves the temple. Mm-hmm. Can't speak. Everyone's confused. Um, and he lives like that for nine months. Right. And so, and then we get to here, right? presumably for nine months. So then we pick up in Luke chapter one, fifty-seven, verse uh, through eighty. Read something like this: Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown His great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah, after his father. But his mother said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father, because you know, his father can't speak, so they're just motioning. They've all at least figured out that much at this point. To find out what he wanted to na- what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will become of this? What then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Added enough, all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. That's where it ends. For now. What you got there, Damon? I got... My page is, is all all marked up. Covered in notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really know where to start. It's, it's kind of a lot <laughs> to take in. Um... I think one of the things that's that struck me about the first couple of verses, the first two or three verses, is this, there's a sense of community to it. Um, I don't know if the community is always really welcome or not. There's not a lot of privacy in this narrative. Uh, The time comes for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy. I'm not entirely sure what's meant by great mercy there. I Um, think it's the ability to bear children after years of being barren. Maybe. That would be my guess. Also, I think I would need to go and look it up. I think that Elizabeth also feels some sort of Relief. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm conflating my stories, but yeah, maybe that's what it is. The pregnancy, 
the birth. Surviving childbirth. The, yeah. so the, I don't know, just the increase, increase, I don't know if that's right, in reputation uh, of, within her community of being able to have a child. Um, not really sure. And they rejoiced with her. So, so that's good, I guess. <laughs> and then on the eighth day, they came to so whoever they is. Is it everybody? Is it all her neighbors and relatives? Uh, they show up to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him Zechariah. I don't, I don't know enough about how first century Jewish naming culture and practices worked. Right, nor do I. That seems... I understand that Zechariah couldn't speak. Right. But later he asked for a tablet to write. So it's not as though he couldn't communicate. Mm-hmm. And they just said, well, we're just going to name him Zechariah. Is it just assumed that that's what his name will be? Well, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came. So we haven't changed the pronoun. So we're going to read the they as referring to the neighbors and relatives mm-hmm. because the pronoun and we haven't a new subject has not entered into the mm-hmm. text and so the neighbors and relatives were going to name him Zechariah after his father yeah I don't know do neighbors or relatives get some say in the naming of a child um, or that is seems- it could it be Zechariah's relatives who are you know, those would be Elizabeth's relatives as well who were saying, this is going to be the name of this child. It's it's mm-hmm. a mystery. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, maybe they're just operating on assumption. But, and, and so they're not, maybe they're not as inserting themselves as thoroughly as, as it kind of seems mm-hmm. that they are in some ways. And I think there is also... There are ways that communities give names to people, mm-hmm. regardless of what their given name is. Yeah. Right? We call them nicknames. Um, but you know that then those are given by the by the community. Um, and there are ways in which we sort of find our identities, really only by being a part of a community. Right. Um, I don't know that that's really what's going on here, right? <laughs> but as I said, no. He's to be called John. And this mm. confuses and exasperates them. They right. don't know what to, <laughs> to do with this. None of your relatives have this name. Yeah. Hey, Zechariah, come over here. Are we supposed to name this kid John? Yeah, and why wouldn't... Like, and he why picks up a you... tablet and he says, His name is John. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you just ask Zechariah to start with? If Zechariah is going to be the ultimate authority on what this child's name is, just start there. Maybe Zechariah, though, because of his muteness, has been marginalized in the community and isn't getting his due. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I think about examples of 
of that where due to medical conditions or something like that, somebody loses an ability and though they haven't lost their ability to think clearly because they've lost some ability to communicate, they become marginalized by the community. Less people ask their opinion, less people, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know why the community is trying to do this. I imagine that they believe themselves to, that they are being helpful. Yeah. Right. Um, whether or not they really are, I don't really know. And then, so then he writes, his name is John. And then, the, oh, this amazes them as well. <laughs> well, why? I don't understand why. That amazes them. You didn't, you didn't think that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have talked about what they wanted their child to be named? Well, and again, you know, you think about somebody who can't speak starts getting treated as somebody who can't hear. And so would it be possible that, you know, they, uh, they assumed he hadn't heard Elizabeth say that? Yeah. And then they're amazed that, that Elizabeth and Zechariah's answers are lining up the same? Yeah, may- yeah. I, yeah, maybe. They seem to be, I don't know, making some odd choices and assumptions to me yeah. as a group of people. I don't really know what or if there's anything to do with that. Um, but <clears throat> they are amazed. His mouth then is uh, immediately opened. And his tongue frees. And the first thing he does is, is praise, praise God. God. And then all the neighbors, well, then they get afraid. Yeah. Fear comes over all of them. And now they, now they don't... They have an interesting emotional arc, the neighbors and relatives. Yeah, and this could be, we would need to look at the Greek word for fear here, but this could be the word of awe awe. or reverence or respect or knowledge. Mm -hmm. There's a certain, they end asking the question, what, what then will become, what then will this child become? Right? Yeah. There's, there's, they move from some sort of rejoicing, uh, rejoicing with Elizabeth, it says, mm-hmm. um, to some sort of, well, this is, kind of, this is a bit more than I thought that it was. Right. And I don't really know what to do with this now. <laughs> um, do they need the casserole or not? I don't understand. <laughs> the hand of the Lord's clearly with them. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this now. Right. I didn't get to name the child, even though I really wanted to. That's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I, I think. But, um, yeah, I don't know. And then it goes on. But I'm going to pause there. Anything from you? I think, uh, yeah. I covered this one. <laughs> Just that? That's only half of it. Right, I know. Then he goes on, right? With this prophecy, um, you know, verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed, redeemed them. On the side, I wrote, okay, this is being presented, at least in our text and language, as finished action. It's done. He's redeemed them. That's done. And then I wrote, 
To which redemption do you think that Zechariah is alluding? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, he has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of David. I think that we're supposed to think that this is is Jesus, but mm-hmm. not, maybe, I don't know, it could be lots of things, right? Um, and then in... I was just trying to sort of imagine, like, what is Zechariah thinking and envisioning here? You know, in verse 74, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And I was trying to think, who would Zechariah be envisioning as their enemies in the moment? Um, I don't necessarily have an answer for that. Um, I think that the shadow of Rome is pretty heavy in the Gospel of Luke. Right. Maybe or, it's old age. Is he quoting an Old Testament prophecy to draw the Old Testament messianic narratives into this story? Would the yeah. writer of the Gospel of Luke be trying to help the readers make that connection? He could be. Because this all reads an awful lot like the oh, yeah. Old Testament prophecies and Psalms, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he could be, but even then, like, he they would still be envisioning some sort of enemy, right? Like, you know, it's like in the in the days of old, God vanquished these enemies, mm-hmm. and today, God's going to vanquish our enemies. And uh, who are they imagining? Are their enemies right? Um, but we're going to be rescued from the enemies in order to serve God essentially. Um, And then we get to the part that seems to pretty clearly, now he's speaking to his child. And you, John, child, it just says child, doesn't say John, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go uh, to before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. Um... Yeah, and then some of those parts, I think, probably sounds familiar to folks, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, and under darkness, I just, like, what darkness is, is Zechariah envisioning? Um, what darkness might we be envisioning? And then he was, the child grows, becomes strong in spirit, and is in the wilderness and uh, until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. He was in the... When did he go to the wilderness? At what age did he go to the wilderness? Were his parents there in the wilderness? <laughs> Lots of questions. <laughs> until he appeared publicly to Israel, right? So this is why nobody knew about him because he was just like, John was just like a little secret just in his community. Hiding out in the wilderness. Okay. I don't know. It's interesting. Again, I think that's another reference to an Old Testament prophecy, right? Maybe. I mean, wilderness is definitely an echo. Like it's a script, like... Well, All but, the interesting stuff happens in the wilderness. But John coming 
out of the wilderness with the camel's hair and eating locust and honey is all referring back to an Old Testament prophecy. So this would be a foreshadowing of that Old Testament prophecy. Well, right? Elijah wears that sort that stuff. Correct. Right. Um, I have continuing. Does this is that what John wears in the Gospel of Luke? The camel's hair. Yeah. Um, you've got your Bible there. I think that his clothing is mentioned in. Is it? I know it's in Matthew. I think it's in Luke too. I know it's in Mark because <laughs> that's what's next. Oh. Mm. this could take a little bit while you're looking that up Mm -hmm. um, when Zechariah turns to his newborn child and he I, I, I imagine him holding him and looking in his eyes and cradling his head and saying and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. And this, to me, is reminiscent of how we do baptisms in our church, and particularly the prayer that I say at the end of the baptism, which is based on a prayer from the French Reformed Church, where we tell all of these things to this child, and then we say, and you don't know any of this yet, but we will continue to tell you this story until it becomes your own mm-hmm. and I just I see a beautiful parallel there between sort of how we do baptisms and and Zechariah offering this prophecy and, and, and a form of blessing if you will to his own child I think it's beautiful oh yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I did not find a description of John's clothing okay. in the gospel of Luke right Dan, the high priest of, of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region, uh, calling for you to be baptized, so on and so forth. And then we get the quote from Isaiah. Okay. Again, trying to pull in these Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah into the gospel so mm-hmm. that people can make the connection there between the two that the readers would have been familiar with these stories and mm-hmm. some of these citations and yeah and i think we think that luke was written last of the three synoptic gospels yes right. um and like john shows up in the other two and he shows up in the wilderness mm-hmm. so like, he's got to be in the wilderness yeah <laughs> So, yeah, it's just, it's, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly. Yeah. Well, you'd grow strong in spirit if you were out in the wilderness too, wouldn't you? Uh, no, I think I would die. Oh, that'd be <laughs> if you were out there alone. <laughs> right, well, we don't know if he's out there alone or not. It seems like he is. Well, the, maybe maybe these are different phases of this child's life, though. The child grew, uh-huh. became strong in spirit, and then he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared. So it could be three separate actions. It could be. Three phases of this 
persons growing up, right? It could be. They grew, they became strong in spirit, then they went out to the wilderness mm-hmm. until they were ready to be appeared publicly to Israel. Yeah. Yeah, it, it entirely, yeah, it certainly could be. I think he's, there's just this sort of mysteriousness mm-hmm. about him. Always. Right. There's always this mysteriousness about John the Baptizer, mm-hmm. isn't there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's going to come up again in scriptures for one of the next weeks, if not both of the next weeks. Yeah, because we're going to be launching into the Gospel of Mark, but it's functionally Jesus' public ministry, which always starts mm-hmm. at um, at the Jordan River. That's mm-hmm. where Jesus' public ministry begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And both, um, like, also in the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, no, never mind. Sorry. But. All right. So you're, uh, you're the one leading on this one this week. I am. Do you think it'll preach? I don't know. <laughs> no, it will for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't, there's there's a lot. It'll be a short sermon that morning. There's a lot going on that morning. Yeah. What's interesting too is that the Gospel of Luke introduces John and gets him through growing up, becoming strong in spirit in the wilderness until the day he appears. Mm -hmm. And then Luke cycles back to Jesus Mm -hmm. to the same time. So it's, it's interesting that it sort of moves John's stories forward. And then, so it's not a linear timeline the way that Luke uh, presents this story. Um, we're not following John's trajectory here. We we get John's trajectory up until he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared. And then at Luke 2, we're back to the birth narrative of Jesus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's advancing different characters in different in different ways. Right? Mm-hmm. But like he's sort of he those those birth narratives are interwoven, right? Right. Because we start with the Annunciation to Zechariah. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the Annunciation to Mary, mm-hmm. and then we go to John's birth, right? And then we go to Jesus' birth, but, it, but and then the, we go to those those two characters in the water together, right? But the yes, but this moves us forward in John's narrative, and then we go back to Jesus' birth. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Okay. closing prayer time. I think that's you. All right. Loving and gracious God, thank you for your spirit, for the ways that it leads and guides and directs us. Um, We thank you for the opportunities to listen for your word, listen for the voices of others. We thank you for the mysteries of your spirit as well, And, and this mystery of forgiveness and the mystery of repentance, um, the mysterious ways that we are called to prepare the way, whatever that might mean for each one of us. 
Thank you, God, for the gift of your holy word and for the gift of your forgiveness and mercy. In your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So at this point, we uh, switch gears and we talk about what's happening in the life of our church. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot happening in the next uh, week. And so, um, as it would say in the Gospel of Mark, pay attention. Oh, no, it's not pay attention. What is it? <laughs> Zounds. Be oh, prepared. No. <laughs> uh, no, what is it? Immediately. Uh, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. We'll so, find it eventually because we're going to start studying the gospel. We're going to get there. Yeah. Uh, this week. Egads, uh, maybe. Egads, definitely. That's what's the Greek for that again? Um, so this week uh, we have Wednesday Night Live on Wednesday. Uh, that is our children. Our our children. That is our programming for children and youth. Uh, we will have supper at 5 o'clock and uh, some Bible study and other activities uh, until 7. And uh, families are also welcome to come for supper at 5 o'clock if you'd like. Uh, we hope you can join us for that. That's Wednesday. And then we roll into uh, what promises to be a really delightful Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday all day, but Sunday morning when Damon will be uh, preaching on this particular passage. Um because Sunday is both the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve, we're not doing our early service at 8.30. We're just going to have a 10.30 service, and we're moving the 10.30 service from the sanctuary to the fellowship hall, mm -hmm. where we will serve brunch and worship together as a family of faith and celebrate the fourth Sunday of Advent. What else do we need to know about that? Uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So join us at mm -hmm. 10.30 on Sunday for brunch. And worship, and then come back and join us. Uh, we will have four Christmas Eve worship services. The first is at 2 p.m., and we do that over in the lobby of College View, which is one of our adult living communities here in Hastings. Uh, and that's at 2 p.m., primarily for the, the families and residents of College View who might not be able to get out for Christmas Eve service. But it's really open to anyone. So anyone who would like to come, that service uh, concludes by 3, so you can be home before it's dark if uh, driving in the dark is an issue for you. And then we'll have three services here in the church. We'll have a 5.30 service, which will be more family-oriented. Uh, we'll have a 7.30 service, which is a traditional worship service, though families are certainly welcome at the 7.30 service as well. Um, and then we do our Presbyterian version of maybe, a mid- Maybe they are. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll see if any of them can sneak in to the 7.30 service. I think they'll be there, and they'll be welcome. All right. So, uh, and then we have our Presbyterian version of a midnight Christmas Mass, which we call our 11 p.m. contemplative or Vespers service uh, in the sanctuary. So that's our Christmas. Uh, that's our December 24th lineup, 10.30 brunch, and then 2 o'clock, 5.30, 7.30, and 11. Mm-hmm. That's got to be mostly it. I think that is it. Yeah. All right. Is that it? That's it. Okay. Well, then. With all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.